Welcome to PCAOB Dialogues from the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, protecting investors through the oversight of public company audits. PCAOB Dialogues features conversations among PCAOB board members, staff, and others where they discuss audit policy and other related issues. The views expressed on this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the PCAOB as a whole, PCAOB board members, or members of the PCAOB staff. At the 2015 PCAOB International Institute on Audit Regulation, Chairman Jim Doty sat down with Don Nicolaisen, former SEC Chief Accountant, to talk about his experiences as a former auditor and now board member. Enjoy this recording of their conversation. Don, what, what is your take on where audit regulation has come? Um, has the profession accepted audit regulation? Uh, what do you think, where do you think we are in the, uh, the history of audit regulation? All right, I'll respond to that, but let me first say good morning to everyone. It's a delight to be here. Um, you make me sound very old, but I have done, uh, I have been around for a long time, so yes, I have some perspective and appreciate the opportunity to sit here with this very distinguished group of very important people. The audit profession, you know, I think we who have been in it have always thought it's an extremely professional uh, business that if we play an important part in the role of commerce and the role of uh, integrity and ethics and maintaining helping companies uh, to deal with complex issues as well as help investors understand what it is that they're investing in and have some confidence in that. Uh, the audit profession has been studied uh, many times. Uh, there were uh, the, the, the first commission uh, that that I was familiar with was the Cohen Commission back in the 70s, and I actually, uh, for Price Waterhouse at the time, was part of the strategy group that uh, yeah. was involved with that. So looked at, looked at and thought about the profession in in many different ways, but it wasn't regulated, and so, however well intended, and however. Uh, well-functioning it may or may not have been, depending on your perspective. Um, the profession and is no different than anything else today. And if there's not a regulator or an overseer of something that's really important uh, to uh, the public interest, uh, it's not going to be trusted in the way that it, it would be if there is a sufficient oversight mechanism that the public believes functions and has confidence in. So uh, coming out of the Enron and WorldCom disasters uh, was the genius, if, if you want to think of it in a very positive sense, of the PCAOB. And uh, it was an extremely difficult uh, launch in the U.S. because of the complexity and in, in the manner in which uh, accounting uh, and auditing uh, has evolved over the decades in the U.S. So it took time to put it in place. The early stages, the, the audit firms felt intruded upon. They really didn't want to be audited. In fact, 
anybody that had a tax audit or any other kind of audit would would yep. mostly say I really don't like to be audited. And I, you know, I think there was that uh, perspective at at the beginning. There was also a lot of concern: could the uh, in this in our case in the U.S. could a PCAOB uh, really understand the audit profession and it intentionally uh, it it hasn't been dominated and, and uh, statutorily it cannot be dominated by the audit profession. So uh, I think there were a number of concerns uh, early on. Um, the, the, the first really meaty standard dealt with implementation of uh, auditing internal controls, SOX 504. And that, uh, you know, it start, starts uh, with, as I think most standard setters or most people in charge would tend to do, try to, try to be as comprehensive as possible, deal with everything that could possibly happen, try to find anything that could go wrong and write a standard around it. So fairly complex document that came out and then questions about enforcement and what it did mean. And, you know, so you were in this transition period. I think that has uh, settled out quite nicely. And you know, while there's still some noise around documentation and, and other things, I do believe the profession uh, here in the U.S., at least with, res with respect uh, to the PCAOB, has settled in and realizes that it's, it's an actually a help, that it's uh, necessary. And uh, I believe uh, you would know better than I, but from what I understand, the exchange between the firms and uh, the PCAOB is, is quite good. Uh, I also would say, uh, having observed regulators in a number of other uh, countries, uh, that there's a lot of progress that's been made uh, outside the U.S. as well. And in, in many times, the views are the same, the thoughts are the same, the objectives certainly are the same. It's all to, to improve the quality of the audit but also to uh, uh, assure the public that uh, there's a watchdog that exists over the profession. Well, if uh, so, may maybe that's even congratulations. Well, that's uh, first of all, thank you. That's that is all um, confirming and uh, of some confidence building. You you have seen this from the standpoint of both uh, a regulator. Right. A member of the ACAP, the advisory committee on the on the uh, auditing profession in 2008, coming through another financial crisis where some significant decisions had to be made, and then as an audit committee member, it would be interesting for I think this audience to hear you, your view of how over your career the tough, what are the toughest calls you've had to make, not with specifics of the case, but what kinds of calls were the toughest as a regulator, as an engagement partner. As an audit committee member, an audit firm leader, which you have been, yeah. are there any of the of the moments in your career that stand out as having been watershed, where you had to make a tough call? You you favored me with a biographical episode this morning <laughs> that I think this group would find instructive if you feel you could. Uh, yeah, I can't go, go into uh, specifics of individual things, but I yeah. said very was uh, just chatting with Chairman Doty. I said early in my career. I had a very large client with a very large problem. The problem was very evident to me. There, there, there was no accounting literature that dealt with it per se. So uh, historically, if 
um, you know, if, if it fits in the pattern of general practice, things get to be accepted. It was an, an accounting issue, not an auditing issue. And uh, I uh, went to the CFO and the uh, controller and said, look, this is, this is pretty important stuff. Uh, you got to deal with it. I'm going to tell you, I don't care what the rest of the world does. You're going to set up some reserves for these things that are in your accounts. And their response was, eh. And we had an audit committee meeting shortly after that. And I said, at that meeting, I'll give you the opportunity to introduce the issue. You can present your side. And then I want to say what I view as your independent auditor. Uh, and by the way, if you don't say anything, I will. They didn't say anything. I did. CFO got fired. The, the CEO got put on uh, administrative leave. The chairman uh, was totally irate. Um, and uh, after things settled down, um, they did what I asked them to do, and they, they understood it. Uh, but I think the challenging things for the audit profession, for regulators, and I can tell you plenty of instances where as a regulator, um, you, you had to make very difficult choices. The difficult part of it is not the factual part. The difficulty is always anything that you do impacts people. And so what does that mean? And I've uh, later on in my career, uh, we discovered a fraud that had been carried out by a relatively low-level person who stole nothing from the company but inflated inventory records because he was smart enough to know that if the reality of what he, of, of the profitability of what that plant was, that you'd close the plant. And he had friends that worked at the plant, so he inflated the records and made it look like it was a profitable operation. And when you discover that, it's a nice, nice man trying to do something nice for his friends, but it's the end of his career and, and in many ways the end of uh, practically of, uh, uh, of a person's uh, view of themselves, you know, how they, how they fit in a community. So, I think the difficult part is almost always dealing with the issues of uh, what does it mean to people along the way. So uh, I, I, in my career, have always tried to start with not where it is today, but where I believe something will lead over a period of time, and then allow enough uh, room along the way to, to let people get in step with that. And uh, that's a challenging task. Well, we should pursue that. But in your first example, you were a newly minted PwC partner. Right. You were 32, 33 years old. Yeah. This was a major client. And you had to ride back on the corporate jet. with. I had to ride back on the corporate CEO. jet with so the this is a CEO who uh, refused to acknowledge me. He <clears throat> sat with a newspaper in front of his face and steaming you can see the smoke coming out of the top of the paper and uh i actually uh at one point in the flight pulled this paper down and i said look i'm 32 you're 58 you ought to be the adult here i am 
you're not. So let's let's talk about how we move forward on this. And uh, paper went back up, and not a word. But we later became very good friends, and uh, he said, "You know, you you really saved us there. <laughs> you did the right thing." But it was it was ugly, and the CFO got fired. The the well, chairman was chairman was asked to retire. That was a tough call. I, you could hear a pin drop in the audience. I think it was. It's leads to the next question which is as a regulator coming out of 2008, 2003, 2008, what do you regard as the toughest issues that, you, that were being faced as regulators and where are they now? What do you think now our toughest issues are as regulators? Um, I think the toughest issues are, are, are always, um, regulators tend to deal with the past um, accountants obviously deal with history, and regulators deal with the history of the accounting profession. So uh, they're dealing with the past. So that was broken. You know, how do you fix that? And so most of what's designed is intended to to fix things going forward, as opposed to uh, dealing with the next round of issues. And mostly, the next crisis will be different than. The last one. So you may have dealt with the last one. You may have fixed the things that impact the last one. But how do you get ahead of the curve to think of what's coming down the path and, and uh, what could likely be there? I'd listened uh, with great interest to the audit quality indicators mm -hmm. uh, session, and I and I think a lot of what I heard I really like because the concept was these are indicators. They're not actually um, binding rules, et cetera, et cetera, they, but they tell you directionally um, uh, what's important. I think the PCAOB and, and other regulators are uniquely in a position to see where the deficiencies are in current audits and to, and to force, to push for uh, disclosure and measurement of, of those things that are really important to the quality of an audit. Having said that, I've spent the last dozen years working a lot within the technology world, and uh, as the digital process moves forward, uh, what you've been accustomed to in the past is not going to continue in the future. So, you know, I've got an iPhone here, an iPhone 6. Uh, it's a good product. It competes with a lot of other good products that uh, do a great many things, and as we're sitting talking about the audit quality indicators, uh, um, this morning I was thinking, what if uh, a standard setter had established 28 standards for what a phone should look, what a mobile phone, a mobile device should look like 10 years ago? Years ago. Yeah. What, would, mm -hmm. what would they have done? Uh, what would it have been? And my guess is it would have missed the mark by... Uh, Several many, pounds. And, yeah, yeah, many miles. Mm -hmm. And would have stifled competition, would have uh, locked in standards that would be uh, detrimental to the future. Mm -hmm. um, and so as you think about these things, I think there are some absolutes that, that are always there, and they involve uh, morality and ethics and uh, getting to the right decision and adequate for auditors, adequate comfort with what they've seen and heard uh, for audit committees, uh, sort of the same thing. 
but to, to be too uh, overly uh, prescriptive uh, is, is really tough. I do think, you know, the, the Singapore example I thought was very good. Got a problem, here's a problem, uh, not enough partner attention, highlight it, get it out there. That's a really good indicator. Seemed to be probably uh, uh, Singapore-wide, not just uh, one, one or two firms, but uh, it's put some pressure in as what gets measured does get done. So I think there are things that are critically important that you deal with, and, and you, you just may want to be cautious that you don't lock in too many things that later on have a significant impact. The digital world that um, we're, we're in right now, and we're still in the early stages of it, is so different uh, from where we had been uh, historically. I was telling Chairman uh, that I was out in the, in the Valley uh, last month and uh, met with Tesla and uh, Google and a couple other high-tech companies. And yesterday, we're down at AOL talking about some of the things that they're doing. And the world that, the things that you see that, that historically auditors have been able to see, touch, and feel uh, are not the high-value items today. So it, there, there's not things on the balance sheet of uh, tech companies that look anything like, you know, a desk, a chair, an automobile. They're very different uh, things. And to be able to audit that and to write audit standards that go from the, the simple to, to the almost unknowable, mm -hmm. uh, but still has to be measured, uh, uh, is, is going to be a challenge. So you're telling us to expect to be surprised, to remain yeah, nimble. and get ready. <laughs> get, ready to get ready. But uh, what, what are you seeing in the firms and in uh, the business model, the digital revolution, what should we? Ex what are you looking at in the in audit in the audit firms as an audit committee member that we should be thinking about? The things that I I'm particularly interested in are the audit firm pays attention to what we describe as our needs, and um, you have to have a working relationship. And the engagement partner to me is extremely critical. So uh, the, all the indicators, and I think um, Greg said it, the indicators about the firms are kind of interesting, but more as a benchmark for an individual engagement than it is in, in total. But uh, what I'm interested in is an auditor that cares about getting it right in my organization. So we have a little test. And you know, I also explain up front, this is, this is my expectation of what you do. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I expect you to do. And from their standpoint, uh, if I read something in one of the many papers that I read every morning mm -hmm. uh, that affected my company or another company like it or could have affected us. I kind of expect a call within a couple of hours from the auditor saying, I know you're going to read this, uh, you will have seen this, and I can tell you either it can't happen here, or we're working on finding out that it can't happen here, or we're going to, you know, we are, this has raised our sense of awareness and we're going to look at it. So, so uh, ability to move uh, quickly. You got an audit plan, mm -hmm. but um, the world doesn't wait for your audit plan. So, how do you go from, 
from this to that to that to that, and how do you keep the the uh, in our case, you know, the audit committee comfortable? We're representing the investors. How do you keep us comfortable that you're on top of your work? So, I think it's a very challenging task, and I think the firms have have uh, and I've, I have enough contact with uh, all the firms to have uh, tremendous confidence that they're very much attuned to, um, to today's developments, what's happening, and how to be responsive to that, and rebuilding their staffs and putting in differing ways of doing audits. Um, at some point, someone will have a digital audit that will have... Uh, you know, it, it might have 10% of the hours that mm -hmm. you're used to looking at in a very different spread of who spends those hours, and they'll, you'll look at it as the PCAOB and say, well, I'm not sure this measures up. This doesn't, doesn't have the same feel that it, the others did. But in, in another decade, what you've done historically is not going to matter. It's, it's going to be... Uh, uh, things are going to move, I think, so fast in the future. And I do think the firms are responsive to it. And, and let's, uh, in the time we have, talk a little about your view of the international cooperation, the relationships. You, Verizon, J.P. Uh, 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 Morgan Stanley, uh, Zurich, uh, you're one of the few people who sit on audit committees that span yeah. the maximum in geographical span. What what do you expect? What do you want from international cooperation among regulators, from uh, information sharing, joint inspections? You've seen all of that as a regulator and as an auditor. We do. And, and, you know, there are things that we worry about. Uh, uh, um, a need to, within Europe, a decision to uh, have rotation, mandatory rotation of audit firms uh, for companies like what I have where it might be 20% or 30% would be in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so do you really want to have two audit firms serving uh, that client? And how disruptive is that? And how difficult is it to make that uh, change? And how do you get these firms to cooperate and, and talk to each other and be uh, compatible in uh, the way they think about uh, approaching an audit? Uh, I don't care if something happened in, in London or New York, and I said I expect my engagement partner to give me a call. I don't really care where it happened. So there has to be a mechanism that exists uh, that will be, that probably isn't developed clearly enough yet today of how to coordinate where you've got, uh, you know, really significant parts of an audit done by somebody else. We worry about that. I tell you, that's a discussion that happens in a lot of uh, audit committee meetings. We also want to be assured that the standard is the same around the globe. So uh, if you look at the ethics policy of a company, it doesn't say, uh, you know, th this, is, this applies to developed nations, but not to emerging parts of the world. We expect the same performance, we strive for it, we understand it's more complex, we understand that there are issues that are unique to different parts of the world, uh, but what we're, what we're really looking for is the uh, ability of an audit firm to be able to respond anywhere in the world at any time 
to uh, the needs that we have to be comfortable uh, that we don't have problems, that controls work, that communications occur, that uh, uh, systems are uh, compatible, et cetera, et cetera. So pretty complex world. How to regulate that? You know, I think this gathering is, a, is, is an enormously positive thing to have a group like this that, you know, really talk about the issues that affect everyone in the world. So, you want to say a word about what you see as audit quality both around the globe and uh, domestically, how it's changed, what your concerns are about it, what you think the challenges might be, audit quality? Let me qualify that. I'm, I'm probably as fortunate as anybody is in that I know a lot of the firm's people and I yes. know a lot yeah. of what's happening. So. I also am pretty demanding and say, you know, I don't want the B team, I want the A team, and I want to be comfortable through quite a few layers of people that mm -hmm. th this is the group that can do the things that, that uh, would satisfy me as an audit committee chair. Uh, and so that, from that perspective, the quality's been excellent, you know. But I kind of think about, well, okay, if I'm doing that, and the next guy's doing that, and the next guy's doing that. Somewhere, you know, on the somewhere else. Somebody's not, getting a C minus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they're probably not all the A team. So uh, this concept, of, from our perspective, worrying about the engagement as an audit committee is the driver. Worrying about the firm itself um, is, I won't say secondary, because you really, you really need the strong profile, but um, you are more inclined to seek out people that you can communicate and work with than you are uh, anything else. I think the firms have been very responsive. Uh, you know, there, there, there was plenty of criticism when we did the Treasury study of uh, certain recommendations, uh, including, you know, thinking at least about audit quality indicators. Yes. And uh, I think the firms have been very responsive. A couple have done it publicly. Others are doing it uh, in a less public way, but still communicating uh, where they are, the auditors, as to what they're doing and what, what are the things that are driven, driving them. Uh, the focus on independence, I think the, um, the, the communication dialogue is crisper. It's it's. I think very clear, um, and uh, and it does occur uh, between the auditor and the audit committee in a in a you know it, where, where historically it probably occurred in all material areas, but now there's enough of a regime to it. You asked me earlier whether uh, almost the checklist approach of uh, mm -hmm. you know the required communications is too much. My own personal view is it's not because to some extent that's become a standard now. All right, it's there, it's there, it's there. And now what we're looking for is, is an audit committee is, you know, is there any equivocating in any of the language or is it, you know, pretty clear? And so you, you can get the focus much quicker. You can subscribe to PCAOB Dialogues in the iTunes Store or anywhere else podcasts are available. We also have podcasts archived on our website. Stay current on PCAOB activities at PCAOBUS.org. 
Find us on social media, including LinkedIn, Facebook, and at PCAOB underscore news on Twitter. Thank you for listening.